What's up, everybody, and happy Easter weekend, you guys. I'm so excited to be with you, even though it's online, and open up the greatest story ever told. We're going to look today at God's great redemption story and its culmination in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But first, to get in the Easter mood, we got to do a little, little quiz with you, or a survey, if you will. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, you know, we are online, and man, I'm so badly craving to be back with you guys in person. I know some of you can't be at our Easter service in the park. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do our best to create a moment where we're interacting. And what better way for us to begin our bond by talking about some Easter candies. Now, in the chat, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to name some Easter candies. I'll give you four choices and you've got to share in the chat which one is your favorite or the best Easter candy. Okay, so let's run through our choices really quick. We've got the Cadbury egg. Some of you are well acquainted with the Cadbury egg. If that's yours, you could go ahead and type it in the chat right now. We've got the Reese's egg, which is also delicious, and I hope that's found its way to your Easter basket this Sunday. Um, we've got the chocolate bunny, okay? The standard break your teeth off on the ears chocolate bunny. And then finally, some peeps. Now, I'm going to teach you a little Almond Family secret about peeps. Peeps are best when they're a little crusty and stale. So this is a trade secret. Save a couple peeps. Just let them set out a few days so they got a little crust on them and they're delicious. So I need you to put your favorite in the chat right now. Take some time. Type it in there for us so we can interact together. This is the best we can do on Easter, you guys. And by the way, this was this was a um, this was a trick question. Okay, we all know we all know that the best candy listed there was the Reese's egg. So if you didn't select it, I feel bad for you, but we still love you, and so does Jesus. Now, Easter's here, and man alive, it was a year ago that I was standing out in a field recording a service for Easter, just a few weeks after our world had changed, and. I've been thinking about this Easter a lot. You've probably heard me saying, I think if there was ever a year our generation needs Easter, it's this year. And if you came to me and said, Matt, what's your wildest dream come true for Easter? Uh, be that Easter in the park at Montevai or even be that online. I know some of you guys are scattered across the country and some of you guys just don't have the ability to come meet in person. If you said, hey, what's your, what's your heart? What's your desire? What are you after? Um, specifically for us who are watching online this week, I'd say it would be that the power of God would allow us to experience a moment together. See, what I've come to understand is that the story, God's great redemption story through history, culminating in Easter, is filled with a power of its own. I don't even have to add anything to it. The story itself is powerful. And when you open yourself up to that story, when you find your life in that story, the power from it is imparted to you. And so here's the deal. I'm in a room right now with a phone and a mic and a TV, and you're wherever you are watching online, or maybe even a few days later you're checking this out, but I'm unapologetically begging God to allow us to experience His power together as we look at the greatest story humanity has ever known. Now you're going to hear me say story. Hear me when I say story. I'm not talking make-believe. I'm not talking myth or legend. I'm talking about the historical redemption story that God has written by showing up in history over and over again, ultimately fulfilling His promises in Jesus to win us back to Himself. That's what I mean when I say that. My desire is that we come around that story and have 
a moment together. I think if that's going to happen, we're going to need God to move powerfully. So let me pray for that. God and Father, uh, as we just tune in this Easter to the new day that you brought forward in Jesus, as we tune in to the way that you've pursued us personally, showed up in our lives, that you've been there for us, the way that you've stepped into creation to win us back to you, God, I pray that the power of that story would fall fresh on us today, that you would be present with us, even as we're online gathering together. We need you for that to happen. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest story ever told begins at the beginning. In the beginning, God creates. He creates water, earth, sky, matter, physics as we know them, laws that would govern the universe, stars, light, dark, water, plants, animals, and the crowning achievement of his creation is creating humanity. He starts with a man and a woman in a garden, and he blesses them. And his dream is that they would live in a relationship with him. And so God provides for them. He blesses them. He gives them a work to do. And they are made to flourish in a relationship with him. But if you read the story, you see just three chapters in, the story becomes marked by mankind's rebellion. Oh, you could say it's about an apple, but it's about so much more than just an apple. It is about mankind looking at God with a sense of superiority saying, you know what, I think I've got a better idea what's good for me than you do, God. It's about rebellion, not just their rebellion in that point, in that place, in that time, about our rebellion as well. It marks God's good creation and turns God's story upside down. And so when Adam and Eve Look at the loving God who made them and said, we're fine without you or we could do better. Just like you and I do. Creation gets stained with sin. And three things entered the story in that moment that were never supposed to be a part of God's plan. God created them with a destiny in mind and a future and a vision for everything they would become. Same like he did for you, same like he did for me, but their rebellion stains God's good purposes. Three things enter the story that were never supposed to be there. Sin, shame, and death. And come on, guys, we're familiar with these. Sin, as my hero Billy Graham describes it, is a plague that has problemed every generation in human history. Graham points out that every single generation has seen war, exploitation, greed, the abuse of power, and racism. And with all of our technology and all of our understanding and all of the advancements that we've made, we have not been able to wipe sin out of our reality. There will not be a generation that's not plagued by this sin. And can I tell you something? It's not just out there. It's in here as well. It's in the time that you knew what you were supposed to do. It had been served up to you on a platter. You knew you were supposed to speak up for them. But you sat quietly when it was your moment. Times when you knew you were supposed to step out in love, but you chose convenience to sit instead. The time when you rolled the dice taking a risk, you knew it wasn't going to work out. And you only ended up hurting the people you love the most. Sin in the form of you tried it once, but it took you farther than you wanted to go. It kept you longer than you wanted to stay, and it cost you more than you wanted to pay. Happens to all of us. 
and it comes from the mark of our rebellion. It was never supposed to be a part of the story. The rebellion leads to shame. You can read the story in Genesis. and It says that in creation, God had intended this man and this woman to feel no shame. But their rebellion and ours inevitably leads to insecurity, which is so present today. You guys, I, I have a theory. This is, don't, you know, this is side note, but I think you could look at all of the tension that we're experiencing nationally right now and chase it down to shame and insecurity in the hearts of mankind. Shame in the form of not looking, liking what you see when you look in the mirror in the morning. Shame in the form of working yourself to death so that in the words of Rocky Balboa, you'll be able to show everyone you're not just another bum. Shame in the form of something that happened to you so long ago and to this day, it's left you feeling less than. You know shame. Sin, shame, and death. Um, I heard commenters say, and I agree with this, death is one of the most forbidden topics to talk about in our culture today. <laughs> Here in Western America in 2021, where everything's so clean and so polished, it's not comfortable or okay to talk about death. It's not fun to look at a young star who's so bright like a Bieber or Ariana Grande or whatever you guys who are younger than 30 are listening to these days. It's not fun to think about them and that the fact that just like you and I, one day they will wither. And at the end of their lives, it'll likely be them on a bed with just a few people around them breathing their last breaths. And it's not fun to think about the fact that that will one day happen to us as well, too. Death marks us because it was never supposed to be a part of the story. There's a reason I can tell you about the first time I was at a funeral. I could tell you every detail of the little Midwest funeral home with the gaudy decorations and 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 teal and maroon colors. I can tell you about where the little room was where my great-grandmother lied with the casket open. I could tell you about the first time I saw her gray skin with her hands folded over one another as she laid there lifeless. I called my mother this week to ask how old I was when that happened because I still remember it so vividly. She texted me back and let me know I was five and a half years old. Death marks us. Because it was never supposed to be a part of the story. A miscarriage was never supposed to be a part of the story. Cancer was never supposed to be a part of the story. Saying goodbye to someone you love dearly well before you should have was never supposed to be a part of the story. Sin, shame, and death plague humanity to this day. These three things sit underneath every tear you've ever cried, every moment where you've ever been enraged, and every time you've ever felt bitterness scrape at your soul, you can guarantee that one of these three things was involved in the occurrence. So this man and this woman rebel, and God had a choice to make. See, he had to decide what he was going to do with mankind's rebellion. And in that moment, God decided rather than crumpling up creation and throwing it away, he would instead pull out a new piece of paper and write a fresh story of redemption. 
And he does so by showing up to a man in Mesopotamia named Abraham. And he shows up to this man and he says, I'm going, to make you a na- I'm going to make you into a family. Your family's going to become a nation. And one day, through this nation, deliverance will come to all of humanity. And years after that moment, deliverance indeed came. Everyone thought when it showed up, it would be a general or some king. But instead, the Lion of Judah, the great rescuer, showed up in a little barn, in a little manger, in a little nowhere's town called Bethlehem. And the scriptures record that as he grew, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. His name was Jesus. Now, if you're new or you're not really a Jesus follower yet and you're wondering what the deal is with Jesus, Jesus with his life essentially did three things. He let the world know that God was relentlessly committed to winning back his children. He showed a new way to live that would make you fully human. And then finally, he came to wage war on sin, shame, and death. That's what he did. Oh, and people loved Jesus. Not just the upper class, the pure and the elites, the adulterous, the arrogant, the sinful, shameful people couldn't get enough of Jesus when he walked the earth. Everywhere he went, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he welcomed them as friends. In his three years of public ministry, he was surrounded by ragamuffins, and he loved every minute of it. And then, towards the end of his life, after his last Passover with some of his closest friends, he was betrayed by a friend, tried by the Jewish ruling council, executed by Rome, and put in a tomb. Now, here's a thing about this moment that we often overlook. When Jesus was put on that cross and then that tomb, nobody knew what would happen next. There was no one there. As a matter of fact, they thought the story was over. The disciples went back to their lives thinking, man, we thought this was the one, but there's no way this rescuer's life would end like this. They went back to going to fish. Nobody knew what was coming next. There was not a group of people by that tomb three days later going, ten, nine, eight, seven. It wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, all there was by that tomb was a woman. A woman named Mary. Who was grieving. We don't know what she was doing down by that tomb. Maybe she had walked down there to put some flowers beside it. Maybe she was walking to just talk at the big stone they had rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus laid. We don't know. But then, as she's there, she goes to the tomb to grieve or spend some last moments with her friend. And instead of seeing the giant stone that had been rolled in front of it, she sees the stone has been rolled away. She sees the tomb is empty. John's gospel, one of Jesus' closest friends who was there for much of this, as eyewitness, writes about the occasion and says this, seeing the empty tomb, at this she turned around 
And she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Why? Because people don't come back from the dead. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And I can only imagine that word Mary, the way he said it, must have come with a wry grin or a kind look in the eyes that he had often said to Mary. Because in that moment, she realizes what's going on. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go in instead and tell my brothers where I am. I'm ascending to my Father and yours, your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples and shared the news. I have seen the Lord. Jesus had risen from the dead, and this is why Easter matters, you guys. Easter matters because it's the beginning of a new day. Let me explain what happened here. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he was not up there as a passive victim. When Jesus was on the cross, he was waging war on sin, shame, and death by giving up his life for us, by taking on himself the consequences we deserve for our rebellion. Jesus on the cross was waging war on sin, shame, and death, going up against the powers of darkness by giving up his own life. That's why his last words on the cross are, it is finished. Everyone thought that that was a moment of tragedy. Oh, but to Jesus, it was a moment of victory. It was the moment he had overcome sin, shame, and death. The resurrection is our evidence. It is the announcement that Jesus has won. If The Easter story ends with Jesus and a tomb. We have a dead teacher. But because it ends in resurrection, we have a risen Savior instead. Let me explain it like this. I remember being in high school around my sophomore year with a teacher, oh, who was absolutely wretched. And... I'm not talking about he was just bad at teaching us what we needed to learn in class. To describe the man's personality, and I won't even say his name just to spare the identity there, but he was clearly bothered. I mean, even as a sophomore who knew nothing about people, I could tell that he was at the same time arrogant and insecure. He was bitter and abusive, unkind, It's the dark personality. He was everything a teacher should not be to a group of young students. Going into his class, we would walk in with a tangible sense of agitation or I'd I'd call it fear. And man, the things he said to young women and students and the things he did would have put him on the news instantly today. But in that time, he had some form of tenure that had protected him. He'd been reported all the time. I mean, everyone knew it was a crummy class, but the board had done everything they could to extract this guy and couldn't. 
And so day in and day out, we'd go into that classroom with a deep sense that something bad was going to happen today. It felt in there like we would, in fact, be on the news one day. It was just no good. Until one day things changed. I don't know what happened. I don't even know how it happened. But I remember walking into that class one day and instead of Mr. X, who was our foul teacher, our principal, Mr. Riley, was in the classroom. Bell rang, we took our seats, and Mr. Riley opened our class with an announcement. He said, guys, I don't even have to explain to you what you've been through. I'm very sorry about that. But I'm excited to announce to you that Mr. X will no longer be teaching in our school. He has been stripped of his authority as a teacher, and he will no longer be a part of this class. The class went nuts, you guys. We erupted. You should have been there. But I got to take that into resurrection. The resurrection is an announcement just like that, that sin, shame, and death have no more authority in our lives, and they don't have a place in our lives anymore. In Jesus, your sin does not define you. Shame does not own you. And death can't hold you. Let me say it again. In Jesus, your sin does not define you. Shame does not own you. And death can't hold you. Hear me now. I'm not saying you're never going to wrestle with sin again. But I'm saying the penalty of your sin and the guilt that is associated with it was dealt with by Jesus on a cross, he took the condemnation you and I deserve on our worst days. We now stand adored by God in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm not saying you're not going to have thoughts of insecurity anymore. Second guess yourself. But I am saying shame has been dealt with. Because on the cross, you now have a place to look that displays your worth and worthiness in God's eyes back to you. You have a place you can look. When Jesus looked at the cross, he had you in mind and me in mind. That's how worthy you are in his sight. You now have a place you can look that's better than the mirror or self-help advice or the next makeup tutorial. Oh, Jesus went to war on death. Death is now dead. Oh, when you die in Jesus, you're simply transitioning to a much better life. When Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem where he knew he would die, he called a shot on the way there. And in John 14, he simply said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this when you, in Jesus, death is now dead. Guilt is now dead. Shame is now dead. Sin is now dead. Even though you die, you will continue to live. Now, I find this verse interesting. Because Jesus finishes with a question and he says, do you believe this? I find it interesting because I know a lot of Christians who understand that the tomb is empty, but they're living like it is not. I can tell you like this. There's a story I heard recently. 
uh, about a young hiker named Norio Suzuki. He was a young Japanese man, and he was hiking in the Labang Island in the Philippines. And he was up in the mountains on this island, a secluded island in the Philippines. And all of the sudden, he was approached by a man with a gun. The two of them made eye contact up in the mountains alone. And Suzuki quickly found a gun pointed at him. Now, Suzuki was a well-educated traveler and a reader and adventurer. So he put two hands in the air and he said the word, Hiru, Hiru. And the man with the gun's jaw dropped. The gun pointed down. And what had happened in that moment was that Hiro Onodo had been found. Here's the backstory. In 1944, in World War II, the Japanese sent an intelligence officer, this man named Hiro, Hiro Onodo, to this island in the Philippines with specific instructions. His instructions were to function as a guerrilla warfare operative to hinder any flights in and out of the small makeshift airport and to do anything he could to disrupt the enemy. And he was given specific instructions to never surrender. So that's exactly what he does. He fights some small battles, but eventually the opposing forces leave the island and he finds himself there with just a few islanders and doesn't know what to do. So he goes up to the mountain with his gun and continues to hold down the fort. He does that for 35 years. World War II ended one year after he got to the island, but he had no clue that the war was over until the day he meets Suzuki, who knew his name, knew the story, and came with the announcement that the war is over. My friends, Easter is the announcement that the war is over. Easter is our reminder that the war is over. Easter reminds us that the war on sin is over and we don't have to carry them anymore. The war on shame is now done. Jesus won through his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're ever wondering how worthy or worthwhile you are, you can look back at Easter and say, I matter that much to God. The war on death is over. Jesus put death to death through his death, burial, and resurrection. Easter Easter is our reminder that the war is over. So what do we do with this? Well, a couple things. First, I want to talk to you Jesus followers. We wrap our lives over and over and over again around the Easter story. The Galatians, and later in the scripture, Galatians, Paul would write, it is for freedom that you've been set free. We are to go forth from Easter and witness to the resurrection by living lives that are marked by freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from insecurity, freedom from guilt and shame. We are to be alive and shine the light, life, and love that are found in Jesus to the world around us. Is that a war? Absolutely. But we can point to the ultimate victory in the ultimate war that happened on Easter. So when guilt comes creeping in, I point back at Easter and I 
I say, you don't belong here anymore. When shame comes creeping in, I point back in Easter and say, you've been defeated. When the sting of death comes near, I remember that death has no more sting and it has been swallowed up in victory by my Savior, Jesus Christ. I go in that and I witness to it by living fully alive and free in Jesus' name. Now, if you've not yet crossed the line of faith, Jesus and the Easter story come with an invitation for you. See, all of this is true when you've been found in Christ. It's not true universally. It's a gift, and like any gift, you have to receive it. And how do you receive forgiveness of your sins, a life marked by God's love and freedom from death? Well, you simply believe. And you decide to trust not in yourself, not in your self-righteousness, but in what Jesus accomplished for you. And you put down the pen and you allow God to write the rest of your story. It's that. You would say, Jesus, I believe. You would put down the pen. You would let him pick it up and write the next chapters of your story from this day forward. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Right here through the screen, online, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you find yourself, you can make this choice today. You can make the choice to be free. You can make the choice to accept Jesus' victory on your behalf by saying, Jesus, I believe. So we're going to do just that. I'm going to finish with prayer. And if you want to make that decision today, I want you to just take this prayer and make it your own. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe you. Today, I'm just saying that I believe you. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect, but I believe you and I need you. I need your victory to reign in my life. And right here, right now, today, I'm laying down the pen. And I'm asking you to pick it up because I trust you to write the next chapter of my story. I believe you. Amen. We love you guys. Happy Easter. Can't wait to see you next week. Peace.